Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 57, we discuss the impact Landon Donovan could have on Liga MX uh, TV ratings. And now that he's coming out of retirement, how much of an impact is that going to have? As well as our opinions about the implementation of VAR in the FA Cup and whether the technology is sucking the atmosphere out of games. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you feeling? Any, little bit, any better than uh, last week with the, the cold? I'm still a little bit under the weather, but th- thanks for asking. Okay. Well, uh, it's that time of the year. I think everyone's getting sick. So uh, just uh, hang in there, Kartik, and, and the same to the listeners, too. Uh, even though the weather down here is beautiful, uh, as opposed to some of the snow up north, but... Um, all right. So, Kartik, um, what you've been watching this past week? Let's let's talk about that first. Yeah, I, I've had a, a bit of a mixed week. We had a, a number of games in town that I was working, so didn't get to watch as much football as, as I would like. Uh, uh, I started off with the uh, the Leverkusen uh, Bayern game on Friday which was uh, Stu Holden and Keith Costigan. And a uh, pretty good uh, game. Uh, Leverkusen, first game coming off of a uh, winter break. And Leverkusen looked good for long portions of the match. But uh, uh, Bayern uh, won after just this brilliant shot from Hamas Rodriguez. Uh, Costigan and Holden were very good. I think we talked about this before on the show. Keith Costigan really coming into his own as both a commentator and a reporter. Yeah, for this one, it was interesting too, Kartik. I'm not sure if you caught this, but right when they had the graphics uh, coming up for this game, uh, I mean, you know, usually like two minutes before the game, um, it said, you mean, Bayer Leverkusen against uh, uh, FC Bayern Munich. And underneath it, it said uh, the Bundesliga, football as it's meant to be. And I understand where they're coming from with this in terms of uh, ownership and uh, grassroots and a lot of uh, German youth internationals or German youth playing in this league, great crowds, etc. I posted a picture of this to, uh, to Twitter, to the World Soccer Talk account. And one of the um, followers, I, I can't remember who it was, but said, uh, yeah, football as, a, as, a, as it's meant to be. Bayern Munich is kind of you know, 13 points ahead in the Bundesliga. Now, this can apply to a lot of leagues this season, not just the Bundesliga. You've got the Premier League and La, Li- La Liga, where the top teams are just running away with it. But I just thought it was interesting 
in terms of uh, the Bundesliga, kind of a kind of a bit of a, a stab or a poke at some of these other leagues, but um, football, well, yeah, as, as it's meant to be. Well, I think as we have these conversations in the United States about creating a new structure, a more effective structure, the general sense is if you're going to keep some degree of uh, uh, some degree of uh, organic feel, the German structure is much better than the English or Spanish structure in terms of ownership and, and what's permitted. Uh, look, I, I have strong opinions about the Premier League and about what might happen down the road with the Premier League as clubs continuously are getting flipped and uh, foreign owners are coming in and and, and, uh, really kind of uh, trying to cash in on television money. Right now it all looks rosy, but uh, the thing we do know is that the Bundesliga will never have some sort of artificial bubble where it cracks. Uh, We're not sure about other leagues. So I kind of I can kind of relate to that sentiment, to be perfectly honest with you. No, I don't like the lack of competition at the top. Uh, and Red Bull, uh, RB Leipzig has shown what happens if you follow a different kind of ownership structure, how quickly you can climb the climb the leagues and then climb the first division table in that country. But um, there are some certainly as we evaluate our fandom as football supporters and our values and our ethos and those sorts of uh, uh, those sorts of words, you realize the Bundesliga has something to offer that the other leagues in Europe uh, tend to lack these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's um, football, uh, well, kind of close, to f- football as it's close meant to be, uh, meant to be close. Uh, it's not exactly it, but it's, it's pretty close to it. Um, at that same time, Kartik, you and I are also watching the Sheff- Sheffield United, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, still City Derby. Um, separately, you were watching it from home, so, so was I. But uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I thought that uh, Sheffield Wednesday is having a terrible season and, and uh, they uh, have been so close to getting promoted the last two seasons, really have been unlucky they haven't gone up. you got Sheffield United back in the championship uh, flying and uh, they, they reached the Steel City Derby. Sheffield Wednesday's reduced to 10 men uh, and they hang on for a nil-nil draw. I, I enjoyed the uh, telecast. Uh, I'm now getting very used to John Camp Champion on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, uh, something that's becoming part of my Friday diet, along with trying to watch some Bundesliga is watch John Champion. Again, it may not be working this way for everybody, but um, the championship is so accessible this season on ESPN3. Uh, unfortunately, this might be the only season we enjoy it this way because of the new uh, Disney uh, pay uh, pay uh, service that's going to launch in, in the near future. And, and But uh, as long as we have the access to the league we have now, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and for those listeners who are interested and do want to check it out, uh, this Friday, I believe, is uh, Bristol City against Derby County. So two teams uh, in that pack of the top four or top five, they are going for it. And um, yeah, to me, the virtual Sheffield, Sheffield Derby, this one wasn't as entertaining as the first one uh, earlier this season, but uh, still captivated me, still pulled me in. And uh, to me, it was uh, Sheffield Wednesday were, were actually, uh, I, th- I think, more happier about getting the points at the end, end of the day. Um, but anyway, it wasn't the greatest game, but I did enjoy it. And of course, John Champion, uh, it seems that anything he's on these days is, uh, is quality. So what else, Kartik? What else do you watch this, uh, this past weekend? Well, no, Real Madrid, Villarreal was really interesting. Look, uh, Madrid, uh, you some people might think they're getting unlucky. They're, I just don't think they're very good at this point. Uh, without Cristiano carrying them, they have a lot of uh, – 
a lot of things that are bringing them back to the uh, pack in La Liga. Uh, we've seen it the last two weeks since the La Liga winter break uh, ended. They were very fortunate to get a draw uh, two weekends ago. And then this past weekend at, at the Bernabeu against Villarreal, uh, I thought they were the better team for much of the game, but not so substantially better that the result was uh, an injustice. And, and they got beat uh, 1-0. Uh, by Villarreal, they're now 19 points behind Barca. They do have a game in hand. They are 10 points behind Atleti. Again, they have a game in hand on Atleti. Uh, 10 points behind Atleti for second. So uh, unless they beat PSG in the uh, Champions League, which I, I have to say, look, we can talk about history and we, we often use history to, to make determinations about these, uh, these teams in Europe. Uh, I, I think this might be the one tie you completely dis disregard history, even recent history, which is PSG uh, blowing a big uh, four goal lead against Barcelona in the last season and Real Madrid winning the last two Champions Leagues. I, I just don't see how this particular team and this form can even compete with PSG, let alone think about winning that tie. So I think it could be pretty one sided and uh, a humiliating uh uh, end to the Real Madrid era, you know, losing on aggregate something like 7-2 or 5-1. Five, five, I could see that happening. So uh, it was interesting. Uh, and then Saturday after that, I had to work uh, as the press officer for the Florida Cup match between Legia Warsaw and Barcelona of Ecuador. So uh, missed the rest of the action. Uh, kept an eye on uh, the Everton Spurs match via text messages with some of my friends who are Everton fans. And um, I had DVR'd the game, but I, I quite frankly had no interest in watching the match after getting these tech mess text messages and realizing how bad Everton was. Mm -hmm. What about the uh, so the Warsaw uh, Legia Warsaw? What was the fan base like in terms of uh, the support that they got for this game, which was in Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, it was pretty. Remarkable. Now, the attendance for the game was terrible. Uh, the reported attendance was somewhere around 2,500. But I, a good 750 of those fans were Polish Legia Warsaw fans. A lot of Legia fans, and then a lot of people showing up with Polish uh, national team shirts, Lewandowski shirts, a couple of people with Bayern Lewandowski shirts. It, it was surprising because I, I thought uh, bringing a Polish team here was a big risk. As it turns out, the, the problem was bringing Barcelona, who had come last year and had sold out the place, right? But you bring the same team two successive years. Uh, a lot of their supporters have traveled or have spent money on tickets to see him once in the last 12 months. They're not going to do it for a second time. Um, the other... The other thing I thought was really significant from my personal experience, Chris, and this is not meant to be ethnocentric or uh, or uh, shots at anyone. So I, I hope people don't take this the wrong way. The professionalism of Legia Warsaw, the professionalism that I've experienced when uh, you and I have dealt with European clubs before, as opposed to clubs in other parts of the world, uh, was pretty tremendous. I didn't. Legia is not necessarily staffed like a Premier League or Bundesliga team, but they were staffed enough. They were they were staffed like, let's say, an MLS team, and they were extremely professional. And uh, the media that had come from Poland to cover the match, uh, and there were a number of them, I, I 
think I had uh, credentialed about eight to ten journalists uh, from from Poland, journalists and, and uh, between writers and photographers, right, photojournalists and and uh, and writers, extremely professional, a lot less uh, a lot less fussy than the average uh, American or Latin American reporter, a lot less needy, very, I think, happy to be here, uh, excited that they were covering a Polish club in uh, in a competition like this with uh, with clubs of, of great prestige. So uh, it was a, it was a great experience dealing with them. And then uh, Barcelona, I had dealt with last season uh, in a similar role, Barcelona uh, of Ecuador. Uh, they brought less media this time. Uh, but uh, it, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I've never been exposed to Polish football before. Um, so it was neat. Up close, right. Yeah, I, I did catch, um, so I missed that game, but I did catch uh, Sunday's game on Fox Deportes, which was the River Plate against uh, Santa Fe, uh, I think from Colombia, uh, friendly. Yeah. And that was, I mean, to watch it as a TV, I mean, the, the, the pitch looked, looked great. Um, that's the field that uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers used to play on uh, after they left uh, Lockhart Stadium. But um, seen quite a lot of uh, River Plate fans there. Of course, uh, South Florida I mean, is a kind of a huge Argent- Argentine uh, communities, uh, especially in Miami. But um, the crowd was good. The level of football was decent. And actually on television, it looked great. But uh, yeah, I think it was an entertaining match uh, from what I saw. Yeah, Santa Fe, I thought, was better, was better of the two teams. And uh, they uh, I've now seen Santa Fe three times in the last two years, some in Orlando in Florida Cup, saw them here in uh, Boca Raton in Florida Cup. And now I've seen them in Fort Lauderdale uh, in this friendly uh, three times in person, I'm saying. And, and they were they have really impressed me with their style of football each time. So that's a club I think as I, as I try and dig deeper into South American football that I'm going to follow more closely because again, sometimes you see a team in one match and you're really impressed. Like I was impressed with how Legia played, even though they lost to Barcelona on on Saturday. But now I've seen uh, Independiente Santa Fe three times. So I'm against Bayer Leverkusen actually in one of those matches where they were really good in Orlando a few years ago. I, I, I quite like them. To be honest with you, I, mean, I don't um, I don't know much about the history of the club, but the football they play is really appealing. Uh, River Plate was fine too, but I, I was really kind of taken in again by by Santa Fe. So on Saturday, uh, one of my kids had a uh, tournament in the State Cup in Florida, so I was pretty much gone most of the day, so didn't get a chance to watch uh, much football. I did watch um, the Swansea Newcastle game. I watched I think, I think the first half uh, on NBC Sports Gold. And then came back later in the day, probably like six o'clock at night, and watched uh, the second half and, and just tried to do a uh, stay away from all forms of communication throughout the day. So I, I didn't get the, uh, the, the results spoilt. Uh, and, and actually, it was an entertaining game. Swansea under Carlos Car- uh, Carvajal. I think they're still going down, but at least they're putting up a fight. Uh, they played two up front, which is the first time they've done that in a long, long time this season. And they're playing, they're fighting for it. They're, they're trying harder. Uh, they're not as um, horrible to watch. Uh, There's a little bit more entertainment in there. So uh, a lot of it will come down to the transfer window. But uh, Newcastle also put, a, put, up, put up a good fight too. And uh, two clubs in completely different positions in terms of all the turmoil that's happening off the pitch um, with the, the buyout or lack of a buyout at Newcastle. And then Swansea just trying to figure out a way to stay up the season and, and, then, and then rebuild. Now, Sunday's game, Kartik, we got to talk about this one. The Liverpool-Manchester City game. Um, how would you rank this one in terms of entertainment? I mean, is this the, one of the best Premier League games of all time? Uh, is it up there? Or- oh, 
No, the Newcastle Liverpool game. I look there. There was defensive errors that created. I mean, there was again. I. I, we go through this on the show every week. We have to separate entertainment value from quality. I don't think it was really a quality football match. There were some quality goals on display. I mean, particularly, I think uh, the Mane goal and, and and the Firmino goal. But let, let, let's 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 call it what it was. It was a it was a team, uh, Manchester City, with uh, uh, that hasn't been. No one goes at them, right? And when a team finally went at them, they got beat uh, and made defensive errors. And quite frankly doesn't have a whole lot of depth. We saw that. They had didn't have a single striker to bring off the bench. Um, and in Liverpool's case, they raised to, they rise to the occasion at Anfield in these sorts of big shows. We know that. And we, they've done that historically, even when they haven't been competing for, for honors. Yet, um, and we'll see. They play at Swansea this week. I wouldn't be surprised if they drop points. Classic. We're we're so so off on this one. I mean, I mean, uh, I thought it was one of the best games I've seen in a long, long time. And yes, there were defensive mistakes that led to the goals, but but that's going to happen when you've got two teams pull it, uh, playing at full speed uh, in terms of the just the passing, the movements, the uh, the pressing. This was football at, at its highest level. Over the entire 90 minutes, it, it was nonstop from beginning to end. And, and to me, this is a great example of a game to show to, to your kids or uh, to, to younger people that might be interested in the sport, just showing them kind of how much of a difference this level is compared to, to other leagues. I mean, in terms of just the players on the pitch, it was absolutely sensational. And that's the thing, though, too, playing at the, these types of level, high, high speed, high pace, uh, mistakes are going to happen. And Liverpool capitalized on those, definitely. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. What I was particularly interested in to Kartik, especially for this show, is the post-match and uh, NBC Sports yet again with a pitch side uh, desk. And actually somebody on Twitter, I think a few weeks ago, uh, responding to this podcast, uh, criticized us for praising NBC Sports and uh, for having the pitch side studio. I can't even remember which game it was. I think it was the Everton game, maybe. Uh, 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 praising them for that. And they said, like, well, if NBC Sports has paid almost a billion dollars, of course, it's going to get a pitch side studio. But I mean, Fox Sports has paid I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, but we don't see any pitch side studios from them. But in terms of NBC Sports, what they did with this, I think, was uh, fantastic once again. And getting Jurgen Klopp to really open up, and um, it wasn't one of those canned <laughs> media, tra- media trained uh, interviews. I mean, he was really kind of talking was- from a heart, from his heart. It was fantastic. I mean, I, I, I don't know about the um, the the censors at NBC if they're going to be more uh, more more aware or they're going to have a problem with Klopp uh, coming on in the future. But that that was just fantastic. Uh, he looks down at his microphone, sees it's NBC. Uh, I think he just was told, "Hey, you're doing an interview uh, in English language." Uh, looks down, NBC says, "Oh, my boss will be watching." And John Henry, John W. Henry, yeah. uh, and then uh, and then throws out the F- expletive. Uh, but uh, Klopp. Klopp is so engaging. Look, and, and I, I, I got a lot of criticism on Twitter as I'm uh, at this um, this game that we talked about, the the Independiente game, tweeting uh, about an hour after I'd watched this interview and, and went down to, uh, to to the ground that um, there's just something different about Klopp and Mourinho. And he got a slew of Mourinho defenders who always come out after me when I say something about him. But not only did he get after. 
Manchester City in a way Mourinho is scared to do even at home, right? In a way, Mourinho is scared to go after Klopp. He's scared to go after Wenger. Yeah, he has a great record against Wenger, but that's from in parking the bus and you know having his players wind up, Arsenal players. We saw it with Gabriel and, and David Costa a few seasons ago. And then the pure joy Klopp exudes when he has an interview like he had with Arlo White and Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso. You get Jose out, it's bitterness, it's anger, it's spite. Uh, I just, I mean, he's the anti-Jose. I, I love him. I'm not a Liverpool supporter, but he's so good for the Premier League. I, I think he's so good for football. I, I know there are English journalists who would disagree with me, but I've had this conversation with so many people. I think Jose Mourinho is at the point where he is bad for the Premier League. I think in spite of all of this entertainment value we're, we're, we're talking about and how great the Premier League is as a spectacle, um, there is um, – the Mourinho factor makes it less uh, enjoyable for so many of us. So, um, Klopp, I, 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 hats off to Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, Love yeah, yeah. I, I think in a way, though, too, the Premier League needs a villain, and uh, this whole soap, soap opera with him and uh, uh, Antonio Conte, as far as kind of the, I mean, the back and forth feud, is building up. It's building up to a crescendo, and at some point, it's going to burst, and it's probably going to be bursting on the sidelines with them pushing each other back and forth. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, it's it's drama. It's um, it adds a different element. Yes, it's kind of. Uh, I mean, we've been through this so many times with him. It gets a bit old after a while, but um, yeah, that that that's who he is. Rafa, Arsene Wenger, uh, Pep when he went to Spain, Claudio Ranieri, actually both in England and in Italy. Uh, now uh, Antonio Conte. I, I, I mean, at some point, I, I, you have to stop defending the guy. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm taking a point of personal privilege here. So many people come after me about my Mourinho analysis, and it's not. I'm not analyzing him necessarily as a football manager, although I think he is not at the level he was a decade ago. I am talking about all these extracurricular things. And when you see Jurgen Klopp in an interview like that and the way his team approached the match, the same fixture man United had a month ago and approached completely differently, uh, you know, you just positivity, I think, wins, wins out over negativity for a lot of us. And oh, yeah. uh, Klopp wins out over Mourinho and he's good for English football. He's good for global football. I think Jose, he had a time and a place and uh, he's accomplished a lot. Uh, I don't think anyone else could lead Porto or Inter maybe to, to winning the Champions League titles that they have. But uh, I think his shelf life has expired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, well, this one, I uh, this match, so I saw up until about the 80th minute and, and then I had to leave, which I was like, I didn't want to leave, but I had to go because I take my daughter to the next day of state cup games. And so the, for the last 10 minutes, I listened to the, um, the audio the commentary on the radio, uh, BBC world service, uh, through the UK. And I listened to it on tune in on the app, uh, in my car. And so my wife and I, and, uh, my daughter was listening to this and the last 10 minutes of this, uh, radio commentary was, I mean, I, I don't get to listen to radio commentaries that often, but this was, extraordinarily uh, good it was Alan Green with commentating uh, Robbie Savage and Robbie Savage I don't like uh, he, at this point he's like, he was just like shouting um, but the last 10 minutes was just incredible and uh, listening to the crowd uh, seeing the well, hearing the, the goal that almost went in I guess the hit the side netting and uh, just really fantastic inspirational experience and it's one of those things that my daughter was listening to and going like wow 
that's great. I'd l- I'd love to go to a game like that, and and that's something that I think radio captures better than television in many ways. I mean, just yeah. uh, you, you just listen in and you kind of imagine things versus watching on television. And television is great too, but uh, sometimes radio is even better. But Kartik, I did miss post match. So post match, I saw the the Klopp uh, interview later that day. Um, I think on the NBC Sports website. Did anyone from City come out? I mean, did Pep come out? Yeah. To- so no, that- no, but Gundawan came out and was really good and analytical about the game. And Gundawan, of course, uh, uh, spent some time in the studio last year for NBC Sports. So very analytical, talked about the way Pep wants them to play, talked about uh, why they weren't able to execute their game plan in this match. Uh, some of the defensive errors, I think, uh, uncharacteristic errors from a, a player like Ed Erson, who's been so phenomenal this season. They, they um uh, it was a really good, um, g- good analytical piece he gave. And then Ox came out from Liverpool. So they had three interviews. It was Ox. It was um, uh, and Ox, ironically, on a day Arsenal lost, right, uh, at Bournemouth. Ox. Uh, and that irony wasn't even lo- wasn't lost on Robbie Musto back in, in the uh, uh, studio in Connecticut, though. Obviously, Musto seems to have um, a thing with Arsenal, right? Uh, at least people with Arsenal fans would allege that. But in, in, Musto has proven correct on all of these and, and analysis of Wenger's teams. But they had Ox. They then had Gundogan come out and then they had Klopp come out. And uh, then they had a live match of the day. Uh, which I missed because I went to the um, the the River Plate game, but I, I was um, I was um, I, t- I DVR'd him, and that was good because they were able to uh, expand on the points that they made in goal zone in this live match of the day from that game, and then particularly from the uh, Bournemouth Arsenal game. Uh, they're doing a live match of the day to again this week at two o'clock Eastern time, following goal zone and uh, the the. Uh, whatever the Sunday I'm blanking on what the Sunday 11 a.m. game. I think it's the Southampton game, but um, that, that's uh, that's an interesting concept, Chris. We've seen it occasionally in the five years NBC has had the Premier League rights that when they do have a lot of time, they can uh, do match of the day live, which gives you extended highlight cuts. Uh, it's airing then around the same time it's airing in the, in the UK as well, extended highlight cuts and some really good analysis. What has ended up happening when they don't have that block of programming, when they have a, a something they have to go off to right away, whether it's college football or it's a uh, college football on NBC, or if it's uh, on NBCSN, it's something like rugby or, uh, or cycling or college basketball. They um, then, bury match of the day and match of the day two in the early morning hours of the next next morning. And it just ends up being extended highlight cuts, which really is no different than the uh, Premier League, uh, the Premier League productions. Yeah. Review show. So um, I I think and we talked about this, I think, on this show over and over again. Right there. They haven't found the right role for match of the day. If they can get that programming time more consistent right after the conclusion of games on Saturday. Saturday, it's really difficult, but Sunday in particular with match of the day two, it can be a really useful show. And I think it, it was, uh, it was good. And let me, um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead to Monday, but I have to say the, uh, Premier League goal zone show with Liam McHugh and Robbie Musto on Monday was unusually good. Maybe it was because they only had one, uh, studio guy, but uh, they got really deep into some, uh, serious issues, regarding uh, both Stoke and Manchester United and Alexis Sanchez and some of the other things going on around the league. So um, 
NBC, it's at times it's been stale. We've criticized them for that on this program. I, I think they've really raised their game again in the last month. I, I'm really enjoying watching the studio programs to the point where, Chris, I'll be honest with you, I'm back to where I was three, four years ago where the games are great. Um, the, the Premier League games, uh, some of them are very entertaining, some of them are terrible, but I want to watch every studio program, whether it's the, 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 um, the Premier League Live, the Match of the Day, the Goal Zone, uh, and I think I had lost that, and perhaps you had lost that for quite some time. Yeah, I like that they're flexible. So they have been doing different things, and um, I think they're, they're trying to break out of that stale mode. And I think that we've seen that in the last couple of months. So that, that that's positive. To me, though, Kartik, I, I just imagine, I mean, imagine if they had the World Cup rights. You mean what, what they would be planning for this summer in terms of their coverage and how they'd be looking at things, doing it differently, not copying ESPN or just, just, just really kind of in terms of their analysis and also their network of talent. I mean, in terms of tapping into a lot of the, um, the experts in the UK and, and, and in the US, um, I think it really would have taken it to a whole new level. With Fox, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see and hope for the best with them. But now, in terms of uh, other coverage, Kartik, did you get a chance to watch any of the FA Cup games? I, I know it's been a busy week for you. No, I haven't. Um... All right. Well, let me talk about that then. So um, I'll talk about the, the game on Tuesday, which is the Leicester Fleetwood Town game. And that was uh, Kevin Keatings and Clive Allen uh, on the commentary. So from Fox's uh, production point of view, this was, I mean, point of view, this was, uh, they really mailed it, mailed it in. It was just uh, no studio coverage at all. And they just had one of the guys uh, in-house doing some voiceover work in terms of this game. But with this one, for anyone who missed it, or even if you didn't miss it, if you saw it, there were three VAR incidents in this one game. And um, there were, I, I guess, I guess the challenging thing, and we talked about this in last week's podcast too, is that... Um, it's still not smooth. It's still not seamless that the way that um, VAR is implemented in the FA Cup games and the League Cup games that we've seen. A lot of a lot of that is the really kind of the relationship between the referee and the crowds and the television. So when an incident happens, and this happened quite a few times in this game, we don't, again, we don't know. We hear, we see the referee talking into his headset. We don't know if he's talking to his assistant referees uh, on the pitch or a fourth official, or if they're talking to the crew uh, that's that's uh, uh, manning the, the, VAR, the VAR and looking at all the cameras. So, now, the, the big incident in this one, Kartik, was that um, there was an, um, a disallowed goal. So uh, Leicester, um, the, the last goal of this game, it was, was disallowed due to offside. It was a quick decision. Um, up went the flag. And then the referee went to his headset. Again, we're thinking that he's going to the VAR, but we're not sure. In this case, it, it, it was, I wouldn't say pretty obvious, but it, it was, yeah, I, th I think we can say that, yes, he's going to the VAR on this one. Now, the challenge is, is from the point of the goal going in in the, the back of the net and then until the decision was made and then, and then the kickoff began, the delay of the game was at one minute and 44 seconds. So almost two minutes. Uh, the VAR was used and the VAR ruled that um, it was onside and uh, they overturned for the very first time the, uh, the assistant referee's uh, uh, flag and said, OK, it's a goal. So, that's, so the two things on this is one is the delay of the game, 
which you could argue that, you mean, it's a minute and 44 seconds. Uh, ultimately, the correct decision was made. So the delay of the game, maybe that's okay just because, I mean, it eventually made a correct decision. But the biggest thing really, Kartik, and, and I posted this on Twitter on, on the World Soccer Talk account, is the... Is what does this do to to the enjoyment of watching a soccer game? Because the TV viewer is watching this game, and for a minute and a minute and a half, we're sitting there thinking, "Is it a goal or not a goal?" And we're just sitting there, so it kills the atmosphere in the stadium. They, they don't know whether to celebrate a goal or whether to wait or to applaud. Or and and for the TV viewer, they're sitting there watching the the replays over and over again. And within about 10, 10 or fifteen seconds, we see as a TV viewer that it's, uh, it should have been a goal but we're still waiting for the VAR to go through probably all the different angles and then ultimately for the referee to make uh, his decision now the other thing with this too is that uh, there's, there's still confusion because yes it, it, it looks like they're going to VAR but there's no communication between the VAR uh, and the referees and the commentators so the commentators see the referee blow his whistle and point and they think that he's running over to the, the camera uh, or to the, to the TV screen on the side of the pitch to take a closer look at this uh, it, this incident. When in fact, he, was point, he, he blew his whistle uh, and ran back to the, the uh, center circle to go ahead and uh, award the, the actual goal and get ready for the kickoff. So all, <laughs> I guess all of us were confused. Probably, probably some of the people in the stadium were confused. The TV viewers were confused. Uh, and then just the indecision from the referees uh, to make the final decision. So to me, personally, I want to see this speeded up because a minute and 44 seconds is too long. Um, they need to figure out a way to speed this up, but do, doing it, doing so in such a way that it doesn't um, you mean, speed it up so much that they make a wrong decision. And uh, But there has to be some type of communication whether it's on the... the uh, the, the actual TV screens, the big monitors in the stadium that shows a VAR thing or, or same thing for us too, where we see that it's going to a VAR. So we know that it's going to that rather than headset to a fourth official. But, but uh, so it's interesting, Kartik, what, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, would you rather see a, a correct decision made or would you rather um, have the atmosphere in the stadium, uh, you mean, with the crowds cheering a goal and... You mean the, the, then the, the game continues on? Any thoughts on that? I, I don't know, honestly. I, I think it's it's fifty it's fifty fifty. It's it's well six of one half dozen of another. But uh, part of it is uh, you want calls to be correct and and uh, you want uh, just results. But there is some something um, mythical about matches that are decided because of uh, dodgy calls, right? Uh, England, Argentina, uh, the Leeds, uh, the famous Leeds Bayern Munich uh, European Cup final uh, in, in 1975. Uh, there, there is always something dodgy. I mean, even the Premier League title in 2010, which I still maintain to this to this day, uh, Manchester United should have won because there were some there were dodgy calls in both matches between Manchester United and Chelsea that season that are often forgotten because Carlo Ancelotti's side uh, broke the Premier League record for number of goals scored that season but there there's always a talking point that comes out of uh calls that cost uh cost clubs Sheffield United got relegated um in 2007 because of some dodgy calls in in matches late in the season that um that ended up uh, that the club went down to League Two. Now maybe or League One, excuse me. Now they may be back into uh, the Premier League the way they're playing this season. Uh, but ten years later, a decade later, so uh, more than a decade later, there was something 
there's something we hang on to about poor officiating, bad calls, uh, complaining about these calls uh, for years to come that we will lose with VAR. Um, at the same time, uh, we'll have just results and maybe we have to adjust our expectations as viewers and spectators of the sport that they're going to get the calls right. Now, what is frustrating, though, with VAR is when they don't get a call right. I will go back to that Arsenal-Chelsea first leg a week ago of the League Cup, uh, first leg of the League Cup semifinal, where to me, uh, Maitland-Niles is clearly taken down by Victor Moses. I, I, I don't think you can argue it's not a penalty. If you see that clearly, um, the official who was, uh, uh, was it Seward Atwell? I'm trying to remember who it was now. Was it uh, yeah, uh, sure. Martin, Martin Atkinson, I think it was, opted, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure actually, opted not to even look at the, at the replay. Now, was there someone in his ear uh, watching the VAR saying, ah, this is nothing, uh, and the referee then deferred to that person and didn't make the decision himself, which he should be doing, or um, they just they just blew it. I don't know. Um, that's what frustrates me. So if you're going to have these delays, you're going to have these stoppages, you're going to change the, our expectations for viewing the game and for uh, spectators when we attend matches, then you better get the calls right. If you have those and you don't get the calls right, like that one, in my opinion, and Arsenal would go back to uh, uh, the Emirates, well, who knows how the match would have played out if they had scored a goal at that point. But uh, in any event, it, it might affect uh, the, the final who lifts the cup at the end of the league cup. And I'll admit I have a historic grievance because of a call that was made, was made against Manchester city in that same for us, uh, league cup semifinal, actually the second leg at Anfield in 2012, a, a handball on Mike, Micah Richards that never should have been called. And Liverpool lifted the cup and city was eliminated, uh, in that round. And I, I still hang on to that as if we had had VAR, uh, that call would have been corrected. Well, maybe it wouldn't have been in hindsight, maybe Liverpool still wins, and gets a penalty, wins the, wins the second leg, uh, or gets the goals they need in the second leg, and uh, and then beats Cardiff in, in penalties uh, a month later. So yeah, that's my problem. If you're not going to get the calls right, Chris, then don't bother. It's an interesting topic, though, too, Kartik, because uh, even with VAR, um, not 100% of the calls are going to be still uh, correct. Or, or, you mean, so there's going to be mistakes done by the people doing the VAR. Um, one other comment, too. This is from Andy Woodard, and this is uh, through Twitter. And he says, uh, I'm all about no video replay in any sports. Let games played by humans be officiated by humans. Everyone makes mistakes. The majority of officials are spot on. Just play the game, in, in, and uh, in my opinion, replays will kill the beautiful game. Just say no to replay. And, and there was a lot of comments, too, similar to that, too, where they just said that um, – this is going to change the way that we view and watch soccer. The other thing, Kartik, which is really interesting, is that Martin Tyler, in, in an interview last week, said that if VAR had been in place several years ago and uh, for the Manchester City QPR game where City won the, the title on that incredible game, he said that in the back of his mind, knowing that there could be some indecision about the actual, uh, whether, the whether it was a, a legitimate goal or not, could have affected his commentary. So, you mean the famous commentary with the, the Aguero? You mean the the, the 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 call that he did might have changed if VAR was in place, and it and it does make you wonder too because it will there will be indecision anytime now the ball goes into the back of the net where maybe it's a fifty fifty call. You mean 
I mean, I think everyone's going to hesitate. I mean, the commentator might hesitate a little bit. Uh, there won't be as much passion, probably from the co-commentator. You mean talking about what a glorious goal that was? Because now he or she is kind of holding back, thinking, okay, well, maybe there's going to be a, you mean, we're going to VAR now, so we have to wait a minute and a half to find out whether or not that was the goal. And the same thing for the the, the people in, in the crowds. You mean, you mean the fans that would have in the past gone absolutely crazy nuts so after scoring that uh, glorious goal might now hold back a little bit so it does change everything that happens um in in college basketball a lot i've noticed with three-point shots which are, are automatically reviewed now and slow down the game uh, which is part of the reason why espn uh, this is not related to soccer but they it is because it sometimes spills into our programming uh, they have to stop uh uh, they have to stop scheduling those in two-hour windows because of all the stoppages, because of replay. Those games are going two hours and 15 minutes now or two hours and 10 minutes. Uh, that There's a crowd-delayed reaction, mm-hmm. I've noticed, because of that very fact. So uh, sorry to cut you off there, but I think it is absolutely essential. That might that, Now that you mentioned that Martin Tyler comment, uh, that – yeah, that probably makes me think a little more about me uh, about this this concept of VAR. Yeah, I, I'm okay with VAR personally, but it needs to be speeded up and it needs to be more transparent in terms of what's happening on the pitch. I mean, is a referee going to VAR? Okay, if the referee goes to VAR, then there's some type of uh, you know something on screen or there's something in the stadium or actually both uh, that says, okay, we're going to VAR, so we know what's happening. Uh, just so there is more transparent. I think the referees probably haven't been doing that so far because they're thinking that uh, they don't want to slow down the game themselves or they just want to, I mean, if it's if it's a quick decision, like a five-second decision, yeah, that, that was fine, keep on playing, that it doesn't, doesn't upset the, the, the flow of the game. But there's a lot of different things that go into this. And uh, I, I guess one of the other comments we got, too, from Twitter was somebody saying that uh, the reason that they're getting into soccer and enjoying soccer is because the NFL has become this, where you mean any, any kind of play happens and there's the video replay and it really sucks out the, the enjoyment of the game. And that's why they're moving to soccer. And they said that they, they're not happy with uh, now it kind of kind of moving towards almost, almost the NFL side of things where it, does, uh, it can be not as exciting. But, uh, yeah, I think this is one to watch, Kartik. And I think uh, the Premier League is going to decide, I believe, in the next month or two whether or not to have VAR uh, for the Premier League uh, starting next season. Um, I still think they've got a lot of work to do before they actually uh, uh, go through with this. And we've seen, too, that in the Bundesliga and Major League Soccer, uh, it's not perfect. I mean, even in France, too, with the goal decision system there. This past week, it wasn't working, so now they've scrapped it and have to go back and, and review it. Uh, it's still a work in progress. And, and I guess, too, with the World Cup this summer, we'll have to wait and see whether or not the World Cup gets uh, VAR. But, uh, well, there, there was a theory that they made it so uh, so poor. They did such a poor job with it, the Confederations Cup, so they wouldn't have to implement it at the World Cup. <laughs> so there would be such a backlash. That's a conspiracy theory. But, yeah, it was very labored at the Confederations Cup in Germany. I have to say I haven't liked it. I, I think it's uh, there have been some really good Bundesliga matches this year that have been uh, – uh, I don't want to say damage, that's too strong a word, but have been, uh, my enjoyment level has been impacted by long stoppages. And uh, they tend to, uh, we, we talked about this on the previous show when I interviewed Howard Webb, that they, uh, the Bundesliga has taken a very different approach to how they implement it and how they want to get every call right and go back and look at calls to what Howard Webb, who's now here in the United States, has done with MLS, which is, okay, uh, you either do it instantaneous, in, instantaneously and figure it out during a natural stoppage or 
Uh, play resumes, that's it. So MLS, it hasn't been as labored, but I would point out in MLS, there are things that you would think because there's VAR would have been corrected and haven't been. Mm-hmm. So then what's the point of it, right? So you, you have this debate that keep going back and forth on it. Yeah, and in that Leicester Fleetwood game, there were three decisions through VAR, and because of VAR, it helped uh, all three of those decisions be the correct ones, the, the fair ones. So at the end of the day, that was good, but what do we lose with that? What, what, what impact does that have? And the first two VAR decisions had no, had no uh, detrimental impact on the game. The third one did, and, and maybe maybe it's just a matter of just speeding up that process, and that would fix things. But um, yeah, this is going to be uh, one we're going to come back to, I think, time and time again. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Okay, let's uh, let's start with uh, some news out of the UK. According to our sources here at World Soccer Talk, uh, they've revealed to us that the MLS TV deal with Sky Sports in England is set to expire at the end of the 2018 season, 2018 Major League Soccer season. Uh, so it's not the middle, right? Uh, MLS plays on a different calendar. So when we say 2018, we mean the end of uh, December 2018. Uh, Sky Sports is currently paying 4.8 million dollars uh, a year for rights to the league. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Sky Sports renews or whether there's a scramble from other TV broadcasters to get the rights away from Sky. Uh, I could give you a little bit of background uh, to accompany this story. Prior to 2014, uh, England uh, was covered in a in an international rights deal uh, that MLS had, had uh, signed with MP and Silva. Uh, that then uh, there was a sub license, I believe, to Channel Four or Channel Five uh, in the UK uh, for that period. Frank Lampard signs in in uh, Major League Soccer, or, or apparently signs actually signed with Man City, but uh, ended up in Major League Soccer. Uh, Steven Gerrard signs with Major League Soccer, and you have uh, David David Villa signing with Major League Soccer as they're negotiating the contract. So Sky uh, bites and they buy. Uh, they buy into Major League Soccer and and, and uh, it, they end up airing games right after the end of Premier League matches or the end of La Liga matches. Uh, that first year or two when those stars were in the league, it went pretty well for them. But now uh, you see an exodus of those players. So it'll be interesting to see if they renew. As I am told, the, the deal that Eurosport has on the continent, which was negotiated through IMG, uh, who replaced MP and Silva as the media partner, international media partner for Major League Soccer. Uh, that runs through 2021 or 2022. I'm trying to get an exact date on that, but that will not be affected. So this is just the Sky deal. That's up in 2018. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I mean, definitely the, the Lampard and Gerard and uh, some of the other, I mean, English players that have now retired and, and left Major League Soccer uh, would have an impact, but I don't think it's going to be a huge impact. I think it's one of those things that uh, with Sky's schedule, it fits in pretty well. It's usually uh, UK time, you know, I mean, kind of a, a nine o'clock game uh, on a Saturday night and it's something to, to, to show that's probably not costing Sky Sports much money when you think it's you mean, less than $5 million a year. Uh, for all the games that they get. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But it'll be an interesting one to watch. And my guess is that uh, by the time they do the uh, the contract, uh, well, the actual uh, bidding for this one, we should find out something probably uh, maybe in the summertime. Now, one more thing on the uh, TV streaming news, Kartik, and that's uh, this Saturday in Philadelphia for the uh, United Soccer Coaches uh, Convention. Uh, Fox Sports will be there presenting a World Cup uh, 2018 preview. It's going to be Alexi Lalas and Stu Holden being interviewed. 
It'll be interesting to see what happens here because uh, Fox, up until this point, hasn't released a lot of details about the World Cup coverage. Uh, we know that it's going to be, so far, a very um, US-centric uh, lineup of commentators. Uh, John Strong, Stuart Holden, Alexi Lalas, uh, Fernando Fiore with the studio, sh- studio show, uh, Kate Abdo studio show as well as Rob Stone uh, and the commentators we, we can pretty much guess who will be there but uh, we haven't got a uh, definitive list of those they haven't announced those so we'll have to wait and see and if there's any news that comes out of that uh, event we'll be sure, sure to uh, share it on next week's show now moving on to TV ratings Kartik uh, this past uh, week we don't have a lot of the numbers because uh, of Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday uh, there's a delay in the Nielsen reports but uh, one of the numbers that we do have is from the Copa del Rey match uh, between Barcelona and Celta and this was the one that aired on Thursday January 11th um, in mid-afternoon so this one ranked number one among Spanish language sports cable networks uh, among total viewers it had a uh, hundred 60,000 uh, average, and um, which is pretty decent for, uh, you mean, I think by this point that Barcelona had already wrapped up the uh, um, moving into the quarterfinals, but still uh, a decent number for a, a mid-after- mid-afternoon uh, cup game. Now, Kartik, uh, listener mailbag. Uh, we've got a few comments this week from uh, our listeners. The first one is from the Soccer Heretic, and he sent in this tweet. He says, I have to give rebuttal for the Liga MX uh, TV ratings. Uh, number one, Liga MX, like Major League Baseball, NFL, and NHL, came up in a different era of mass communications and media coverage. Number two, the vast majority of Liga Mekis uh, following is based on cultural connections developed in an era of previous, uh, in the era, era of the previous statement. Its following in America is also much more heavily weighted in communities with large Mexican heritage populations. Number three, and finally, the quality of play far exceeds Major League Soccer and allows to bring in people who appreciate the quality of play, if not the format of the competition. So, so definitely some good input and feedback here from the soccer heretic, uh, Kartik. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I think we'll get more into this in our future topic of the week. But I, I do think there is a lot Liga Mekis has going for it. Uh, but there's also, uh, to me, a, a, a situation where uh, there is a uh, maybe a, a cultural barrier for some American-based uh fans of the sport uh, to understand the league. And I think what, what it is, is that, um, well, maybe I'll get into this in, in the, uh, in the feature topic. Yeah. I mean, uh, the soccer, I, I should say culturally, sorry, Chris, culturally, I don't mean uh, Hispanic versus uh, uh, Anglo. I mean, culturally in people are either into an American sports mindset or they're into a um, European football mindset and Liga Mekis doesn't really fit either. I will say, though, Kartik, that um, the Soccer Heretic's point about um, the, the history uh, is a good one because this is something that, I mean, going back to the, to the 1980s, I remember that pretty much the only soccer you could watch would have been on, you mean, Telemundo or, you mean, the Spanish language networks. And oftentimes on, on a weekend, on a Sunday or a Saturday afternoon, you'd be flipping through and you'd come across a, a Liga Mekis game. And that was the only game on at all. I mean, like this now, now Nowadays, we get, what, 150 to 180 games on a, on a week uh, in, in the United States. But usually at that point in the 80s, there had been like maybe one, if you're lucky, two. So culturally, it has built up a, 
a slow and steady following from the 1980s, um, something that uh, other leagues in the U.S. Uh, haven't had the, the benefit f- uh, from. I mean, Fox Sports World was, what, uh, early 90s, and, and that was, uh, and then since then they've been able to kind of build up the, the Premier League audience. So that, that's definitely a good point. And, um, I, I, yeah, I think I agree with the soccer heretic in terms of there are things with Liga Mekis that are to benefit them that uh, others uh, don't have the benefit of. Now, uh, next up is, uh, let me see what we got here. We've got Larry Rouse, um, who sent in this tweet. He says, so one thing I've noticed is with the Premier League goal zone, there are so many commercials and not enough talking, especially towards the end of the show. It's all advertising. Could this be improved upon in any way? There's not enough breakdown of the league during this time for me. Sometimes the one-hour show feels like 30 minutes and the commercials are three to four minutes long. Now, this is something, Kartik, that NBC Sports does a good job of in terms of monetizing the Premier League and just trying to make sure that they're uh, generating as much uh, revenue as possible to pay for these rights, which we've mentioned uh, this latest rights cycle is costing them almost a billion dollars for six years. So... But that, that has that. Have you seen noticed that too in terms of uh, commercials and how much that, that's impacting the the amount of time that uh, of coverage from the Premier League? Yeah, which is why I think I've been so impressed with the last month. I think there's been more commentary. I, I mentioned I singled out the show Liam McHugh and uh, Robbie Musto on Monday after the Borough and uh, Borough, excuse me, Borough's not even in the league anymore. Uh, after the uh, Stoke, Stoke is beginning to feel like Borough. Maybe that's why I thought, yeah, Stoke Man United match. Uh, the that 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 seemed to we got a lot out of that hour. I think it's because. There have been these hour-long goal zones in the past where they've done a lot of highlights. There's been uh, uh, these kind of talk segments where they repeat what they said at halftime or repeat what was said on the broadcast. Then there is a commercial block of four minutes. Then uh, there is some sort of uh, 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 something else. And and it seems like it's a 20-minute show, right? This time, I felt like I got a good value for the hour, Uh, maybe 45 minutes of – actual cognizant analysis. So um, concise and uh, some points that Musto normally wouldn't get to make. So, uh, yeah, I I actually tend to agree with this point. I think that the goal zone shows, uh, I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of cringe when I see they're only a half an hour because then I'm expecting 10 minutes of analysis. And uh, and then they show um, amended blazers or whatever after. But this uh, this is, a I think, an evolving point. And NBC may have had these same internal discussions we're, you're, you're complaining about. And it seems like I've seen some sort of shift in the last month. There was also, I mentioned McHugh and Musto uh, this Monday. A couple of weeks ago, there was a Derek Ray Robbie Earl goal zone, which was similar. It was an hour long, just the two of them. And there was a lot on that show uh, that you could unpackage and take from it. So uh, I I think it's a valid point, but I would uh, retort and say, I think NBC is aware uh, of your critique and they're working on fixing it, it appears. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing out though, Kartik, because when I do watch uh, the Premier League on NBC Sports, in terms of the timing of the commercials, I, I don't feel it's disruptive. It's oftentimes, I mean, they're not doing it right in the middle of uh, You'll Never Walk Alone, I mean, from Anfield. They're letting that play out. And as soon as that's over, they, they go to a quick commercial, come back and get ready, come back for the, the start of the game. Um, so they've gotten into a good rhythm where it's, you I mean, the commercial comes on and then I might, you I mean, 
jump on Twitter or, or something. And, and, and to me, it's it's. Uh, I, I expect it. Um, Goals on, I don't watch as much as some people probably do, so I don't notice that as much. But uh, there's always. I mean, to me, I, I would normally go online and watch the the highlights if I want to do it. If I really want to see the highlights, but uh, but it's still a good point by Larry. Last but not least, Kartik, uh, Raymond Orozco messaged us through Facebook and he said, uh, I listen to a lot of soccer podcasts and people have interviewed potential soccer, U.S. soccer president candidates. And I like, like what some of them have to say and a range of topics, but I think they are delusional when they talk about the economics and money of soccer. I read two books recently that I think all U.S. soccer fans should read and one's uh, Money in Soccer and the other one is Soconomics by uh, Stefan Zomanski. And the question I would love to ask all of the candidates is, do you think that sports teams have to be economically uh, profitable to be viable? That's a great question, Kartik, because uh, that's one we didn't ask Kyle. Uh, I mean, if you ask somebody in the UK, uh, that answer might be quite different than somebody in the US, especially if it's, if it's a business person. Right. I, I think the, the thing about Kyle now, uh, since we had our conversation with him, he has uh, uh, released a plan which is uh, incredibly detailed. You, know, you, you could even uh, say that it's it's too detailed for uh, a candidate. Uh, maybe he's exposing himself to um, getting a lot of holes poked in it. But I, I really like his uh, uh, his thought process about uh, how. Uh, you, you you make some of these changes on, on a realistic timeline. So I think he himself is weighing, is this a public good? Is this a, um, a community-oriented or nationalistic thing? Or is it a for-profit business? I think even he's trying to balance that. We don't know, right? The American mindset is it's a for-profit business. They're franchises. They're, they're businesses. The the mentality in England is, is is different. The mentality in Germany, which we let off the show with, is 180 degrees from where it is in the United States, right? And I think Martino, from reading his plan through, which I encourage everybody to look at, it's uh, everyone's game of uh, progress plan and way forward uh, that he he released on uh, on Monday. Uh, you. Um, you get the sense that he's trying to, those are competing ideologies that he's trying to balance. And uh, it's tough. So I, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I, it's a great, great idea to ask all the candidates those questions. And, and uh, uh, hopefully we, we will get the chance to do that in the next three and a half weeks before the election. Yeah. You look at Detroit as one example, Kartik, and you look at Detroit city uh, FC. And I mean, to them, to me, that's a very much a, a community club that's uh, grassroots, that uh, has good morals and is trying to build something in the community to, to benefit uh, the people that live in that area and, and give them something back versus, I mean, the Major League Soccer team that could move into Detroit in the, in the coming months if they uh, get the expansion there. And the difference between that club, if it, if it happens, which is purely for profits, purely for uh, generating as much money as possible. And the fact that Major League Soccer... And the proprietors of that potential Detroit club, Chris, seem to have no interest in engaging those people who built Detroit City FC. That, to me, is more uh, galling than everything because they have built something very special, very unique on the American sporting landscape, not just on the soccer landscape, on the sporting landscape. And uh, you've got uh, essentially 
uh, cor corporatists trying to take them out, take them down. Uh, it, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Detroit is a real sore subject. Uh, we try and remain objective about these things. But, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought Detroit up, Chris, because I think that that is where you see the contrast in uh, black and white in, in this country. Yeah, and that's one of the things too, Kartik. It's not just Major League Soccer. I mean, the Premier League is is all about uh, profits at this point. Um, but it, it is. I mean, you have lower league clubs that are more about the communities. Um, I mean, trying to again provide it something of value to the community, and uh, it, it is a question. I mean, it it goes back to say. Um, uh, um, musicians. I mean, do you want to be kind of your local musician who's enjoying it and you mean playing every weekend, or, or do you want to go and and you mean uh, sell a million records and, and sell out and become a a worldwide star? I mean, it's, it's there's so many different levels to look at it. And for soccer, I mean, this is a great question from uh, from from our listener from uh, from Raymond. Is that uh, what do these candidates think? I mean. How, how do they balance the two? Because there is the the profit side and there's the non-profit side. Yeah, it's um, yeah a lot of big questions, a lot of big uh, topics uh, uh, this week, Kartik, in this week's podcast. So, listeners, if you do have any feedback, uh, questions, or anything you want to ask us, uh, go ahead and send us, send us an email to web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at our new Twitter handle, which is at worldsoccertalk. Or send us a message through Facebook. Uh, that's facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. We'd love to read those out on air and uh, to share those with the other listeners. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to our featured topic of the week. And uh, this week we have a special guest. We have uh, Walter Franco, who's uh, Liga Mekis, uh viewer and expert. And uh, Walter, give us a little bit of background um, in regards to the company you work for and just uh, you mean, where you're from and also um, your, how much Liga Mekis do you watch uh, every week? Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Kardik and uh, Christopher, for inviting me to be on the show. So I work for a, a boutique sports consulting firm called Vix Advisors. We're based out of Utah. Um, I've been with the firm for about three years, and uh, the core business of the firm is involving sponsorship analysis, uh, economic impact, and feasibility studies for uh, sports facility development. Since uh, since I came on, I've really been building the uh, the soccer business side for the firm, and and that deals with uh, brokering friendlies between Liga MX and MLS clubs, uh, sponsorship and other business development opportunities for Liga MX clubs, including the Mexican Federation in the United States. And so uh, um, I'm originally from the San Diego, Tijuana area. Um, so I really understand the those border relations between the U.S. and Mexico culturally growing up in, in a bilingual home. Um, and so I, you know, I grew up watching the game X my whole life. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm very in tune with everything that's happening from, you know, business side and from the historical sense with, with what's happened throughout the years recently with its uh, growth uh, commercially in the U S as well. So um, I feel like I've, I've been able to get a good pulse on what's, what's been happening uh, with league MX and very exciting times, of course, with the signing Donovan signing, but uh only if uh, the league and, and, and the club, in this case, Club Leon, uh, you know, really capitalize on this marketing moment, which I, in my opinion, they haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually perfect timing to have you on the show, uh, Walter. We, we appreciate your time. So with, with the Landon Donovan move, I mean, do you think it is more of a um, seeing talent, wanting to bring him in and see if he can make a difference with the team? Or is it more about the marketing? But like you just said, that from the marketing uh, point of view, uh, they haven't really capitalized on it so far. So is it more about bringing this player in and seeing if he can help uh, help the team in the league? 
You know, in my opinion, I really do think it's more of a marketing uh, tool. I mean, obviously, he does have his strengths. He's uh, in terms of leadership, um, his experience both uh, domestically and abroad. And, uh, you know, I, and many people have even mentioned the point of him being in Leon in Mexico and, and almost mending wounds uh, with, you know, what's happened recently politically in the with between relations between Mexico and the U.S. And, you know, I, I, if, if you watched the, the announcement um, a few days ago, you know, that the stadium had in each seat, they had a Mexican flag and a U.S. flag and there were, there were fans chanting USA, USA. So at that, at the very least, the club, the club Leon has succeeded in that aspect. And, and there's definitely a lot more interest there. I don't know how much he's going to contribute. As as you probably know, he hasn't played in a few years. Um, and even when he uh, played for the LA Galaxy for, uh, you know, when he came back out of retirement, he was very limited in his, uh, in his participation. And so, you know, he's going to be taking someone's spot, assuming if he starts, which I don't think he will. He might be coming in the last few minutes of the match. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it really is more of a marketing uh tactic more than anything else similarly to what happened with uh, Ronaldinho and Querétaro mm -hmm. and so um time will tell but I I mean I I'm definitely going to watch it's just going to be very interesting on so many levels and I know that a lot of Mexican fans will watch and and more importantly uh you know your mainstream American soccer fan is going to watch as well yeah, we, we just did a poll, I think it was on yesterday on, on Twitter to ask uh, people if they'd be more likely to watch Liga Mekis, uh less likely or about the same. And 22% uh, of our followers said that they'd be more likely to watch Liga Mekis because of Landon Donovan playing for Club Lyon. Um, do you think it's going to have, I mean, long term, could that have an impact on TV ratings in the US? I mean, Liga Mekis TV ratings are already very strong, but do you think it could take it to the next level or encourage maybe more American players to, to go uh, south of the border to play in Mexico? Um, I mean, it depends. I mean, having someone of, uh, with, of, you know, with Landon Donovan's historical significance, that's not going to happen very often, obviously, unless maybe you have Michael Bradley come play Liga MX or Josie Altador, something like that. But I, I think in the short term, it will generate interest. The only issue is um, with, with TV, Univision Deportes right now has the rights for basically every Liga MX club in the U.S., and they, as, and again, as you know, they have a, a partnership with Facebook Live to show select matches in the U.S. in English. Um, and so the question is, OK, are they going to capitalize on this and show more Leon matches on Facebook Live so that English speaking fans can watch? Um, and, you know, since Leon's only going to be there for a year, I'm sure we'll see kind of an uptick in interest. But. Once he leaves, I don't know if that interest is going to stay. I don't know if people are going to stick around to watch. So I think it's more of an interest in, okay, how is he going to do it in, in Mexico? Is he going to, you know, do very well? Or is he, is he going to show that he's completely out of shape? And I think for a lot of American soccer fans um, that only get a chance to really watch League MX clubs uh, during the CONCA Champions League, uh, CONCA Champions League, this is going to be another test for them to say, okay, well, how good can an American player do in um in league mx and to really almost set a barometer for the quality of league mx clubs to an mls club so Leon has won championships in the past uh over the last five years maybe i think once and um you know the, right now they're, they're kind of mid-tier uh in, in the table so it'll be interesting to see how well they do and and um and I, I think, in, in, and you, you followed the ratings more than, more than anyone else, Christopher, you, you as well, Cardiff. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to see that uptick, specifically for Leon matches, especially if they're in English. 
But overall, in terms of League MX, I, I don't know if it's going to see a, a major increase um, uh, for other clubs that, that would be playing on Univision. Uh, Walter, if uh, if you don't mind for a minute, uh, walk our listeners who tend to be the, the listeners who tend to only follow European football through some of the um, nuances of Mexican of Liga MX and how it's structured, the tournaments are structured, and uh, from a business standpoint as well. Sure. So uh, from the the league structure, you have the, a fall season and a spring season. So each season consists of seventeen uh, matches. Uh, usually for the spring, the fall season, you're starting in late July and ending in late November with the playoffs, uh, starting in early December. Uh, then you kick up again in, uh, late, uh, mid to late January with, uh, for the spring season ending in late May, which includes the playoffs. And so it's really year round. Um, it's, it's kind of, in my opinion, I, I really think that Liga MX needs to convert to a, a a European model calendar running through August through May, where it just makes it more interesting because you, you have two championships in, in one calendar year. And so it almost dilutes a little bit that, that value of having a championship season. Uh, but at the same time, if, from fans perspective, you know, if the fall season goes bad, you can always say, Oh, well, there's, there's next season, uh, which is just, you know, three weeks away. And then the same thing, uh, moving into to the fall season. The other thing too, to keep in mind with, uh, from, uh, a league standpoint is relegation it's it's very it's very complicated based on points and it's over a uh, over it's cumulative over various seasons and so um it's and then we can go into again into some controversies that have happened with certain clubs not being relegated or being bought out and rebranded as the same team that was relegated so they can stay in the first division but that's i think that's a topic for another day from a business standpoint um one of the challenges that Liga MX has is that they're not very visible outside of Mexico and the U.S. And a lot of that has to do with the way that the league is set up. Um, it's it's very much the Wild West out there. They haven't really caught up with the times with what sports pro sports have pro sports leagues in the U.S. have done in terms of bundling their TV rights. So both domestically in Mexico and also in the U.S. and beyond every club can negotiate their own TV rights. So that, that might be good for a club, say Chivas or America, which can maximize their value. But for other clubs like Leon and, and also Querétaro and, and Veracruz, uh, who don't have much of an appeal outside of Mexico, it's hard for them to get, get a good deal. And so one of the things that I've talked with, both with the league and also just anecdotally and, and other uh, observations with, with other interviews, et cetera, is that the league really needs to, to to find a way to bundle their TV rights outside of Mexico at the very least so that they can really sell the league internationally, which is one of their main strategies that they really want to globalize the league. But uh, that's really the biggest stumbling block because TV revenues uh, would be one of the, the, the greatest, uh, you know, revenue drivers for the league and to help expand their growth. So um, it's an exciting league. Um, there's a lot of young talent. Uh, it's become... It's kind of at a, at, a, at a crossroads now because it exports a lot of players, mostly Mexican players, to Europe. But it also is recently has been importing players from Europe. So, for example, Andre Pierre Gignac, and now uh, with Menez coming to play with Club America, Ronaldinho in the past, Landon Donovan, and so uh, it, it's definitely an exciting league. Uh, they've had a lot of success, uh, you know, on, on the Western Hemisphere. Um, but I think there's definitely a lot more room for growth. 
Last question for me, uh, Walter, is uh, in regards to uh, Liga Mekis and, and well, more so uh, Club Lyon. How capable is Club Lyon of uh, kind of uh, launching a really good marketing program in the United States to to sell Landon Donovan uh, shirts and to, to market this club um, outside of just television? But uh, and, and if they're not capable, I mean, is there an opportunity... Um, whether it's for your company or other companies, to really do a better job of trying to market these these clubs in the United States to to bring them up to a, a higher level of visibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I, to be to be completely honest, I think uh, they missed the boat for, with with this launch for Landon Donovan, and, and I don't know if they're ever going to catch up. Um, you know, so some issues that came about uh, with this so- uh, signing is at, at, at minimum they could have had a, a joint release that was both in English and in Spanish. They could have launched a social media uh, channel or, or Twitter or Facebook accounts in English uh, to kind of start talking to to so- casual American soccer fans or U.S. soccer fans that, that would only follow Landon Donovan specifically. Um, they didn't do that. Um, the website is still under construction, believe it or not, um, which is very difficult because people probably want to know what Leon is about. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have given kind of a, a brief history about Leon um, in English to kind of let people understand what Leon is about, their history, um, their, uh, their significance in Mexican soccer. They didn't do that. Um, they have a, uh, their kit sponsor, uh, Pirma, which is a Mexican company, has very, very limited distribution in the United States. And so um, it looks like it's going to be very difficult to find a Landon Donovan jersey short of, uh, you know, buying a generic uh, Leon jersey and then have taken it to a local soccer shop and trying to have, you know, them screen print uh, Donovan's name and number uh, on the back of, uh, of the jersey. And so uh, it doesn't appear that there's a plan in place, which is a shame. Uh, with, this, with these specific negotiations, you know, this has been happening for quite a while now. Uh, so they could have had a, a marketing plan in place, but it looks like they're just kind of weeing it, to be honest. And, and it's kind of the same thing with Querétaro too. Querétaro really didn't capitalize on having Ronaldinho there, um, regardless of how much he actually wanted to be there or not. Uh, they really didn't make the most of that. So what, what, what you're going to see happening with Leon is I think there's going to be definitely a lot more interest for MLS clubs to play Leon for friendly matches this summer. And so I think you might see that and there'd be a lot of interest from MLS clubs to host them and a lot of interest from fans. But, um, you know, I don't really see Leon uh, engaging with any marketing agencies, any research firms in the U.S. And a lot of that has to do with, um, first of all, the money that's involved to them. If, if they don't see the money up front or, or the return on the investment within, you know, a week or so, they're really not going to put any money to anything that they, they can't. They can't really. They don't have the patience, so to speak, to, right. to, to be able to wait for that for that ROI, right? Yeah. And so I, I don't expect much to, to change, to be honest. Which which is unfortunate. Which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, really, because I, I mean we know all of us, all three of us know, but also the listeners know that the U.S. market is ripe for the picking. And there's a lot of uh, communities sure. with uh, not a lot of uh, soccer clubs in the area, but you mean you bring uh, some of these Mexican teams to play friendlies or to established clubs or youth clubs, um, there's huge opportunities in the U.S. It's such a big country, and uh, still there's opportunities there. But Well, Walter, Walter, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, if uh, listeners want to follow you or, or uh, stay tuned to kind of uh, your thoughts on uh, Liga MX, uh, where's the best place they can find you? 
Um, it, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at the W Franco, uh, to be honest, I'm not much of a, a follow at all. I, I, am usually typically boring, but, uh, from time to time, I'll, I'll, I'll share some tidbits here and there. So any follow is appreciated, but, um, you guys are great to follow. So I have definitely, uh, haven't engaged much with you on Twitter before, but, um, I definitely listen to your, your podcast and, and, uh, listen to your analysis on, on the happenings of, uh, you know, soccer in the USA and also with TV ratings. So a lot of the info that I get is actually from you guys. So you guys have been a great resource for me. So I, I appreciate your, your hard work. Awesome. Cool. Well, Walter, thank you so much for being on the show and, uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks to you both. Take care. All right. Cheers. Thank you, Walter. All right, Kartik. So let's, uh, before we move on to, uh, I, d- I do want to mention actually on our website, uh, worldsoccertalk.com, we published a viewing guide to Liga MX this week that goes into a lot more detail that talks about uh, where you can watch matches on television, as well as streaming, as well as uh, links to uh, watch um, coverage of Liga MX in English language and and how the league is structured and uh, Copa MX and all the different tournaments, et cetera, Super Copa. So if you do want to get that, it's for free. It's a free download. Uh, just go to worldsoccertalk.com and there'll be a link uh, under the navigation. This is free guides and there's one for League MX right there. Now, Kartik, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to kind of keep up on top of uh, what you're doing these days? Check me out at, uh, on Twitter at KKFLA737. All right, Kartik. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, TNN, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.